0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today.
1: Our story this week picks up where we left off last week.
0: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to another landmark episode. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds, it's 580 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Buck.
1: Is it really a milestone? Is 580 really a milestone? Yeah,
0: 580 is totally a milestone. Like, that would be a special collectible issue if it came out. Mm.
1: I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, we've got a pile of new comics to review from Wednesdays, July 1st and 8th. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we are celebrating
0: two of Comic's most famous soldiers with a trip to the Cosmic Longbox to look at the first appearances of Sergeants Rock and Fury. But, before we kick off this responsibly self-distanced post-4th of July spectacular, it's review time in the Ziggurat Kids!
1: Since we took last week off, we'll be talking about some comics from this and last Wednesday. Matt, your Tasmanian devil as Superman with an American flag for a cape tattoo is all the proof I need that you're more of a patriot than I. Goddamn right. Why don't you start us off, sir?
0: You, normally we do a little uh, Excelsior and clink our glasses first, but you know. Oh, sorry. Well, let's do it now. <laughs> Jeez. How rude. Excelsior. Clink, clink. Uh, I am starting off with DC. God, I hate that. Dead Planet number one from DC. <laughs> Tom Taylor returns to yet another corner of the DC multiverse with its own version of Earth 2 and a replacement JLA for the one that got infected slash killed by the anti-life equation in the other story that turned humanity into a zombie horde. I kind of ignored the first one. I read the first issue and went, nah, not for me. Cyborg's head has been broadcasting an SOS into space for five years. Batman's briefcase finally gets the message. Ollie... John Kent, Damian Wayne, Dinah Lance, who is the new Green Lantern, return to Earth after humanity has fled to see if there is, in fact, a cure for anti-life. Big shocker, it doesn't go well. I didn't give the first series much of a chance because it just seemed like another multiversal story where the JLA gets eaten by zombies. I was wrong, and Tom Taylor is telling a very good story here. That said... He needs to work on some of Ollie's dialogue. He kept having him drop Pretty Bird in the weirdest places in his sentence where he'd be like, now, don't you worry, Pretty Bird. I, things are going to be fine, Pretty Bird. Like not twice in one sentence. That's weird. <laughs> OK. <laughs> like, and after a while, I'd be like, Ollie, shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right? I'm giving this a buy it. Oh,
1: boy, I thought there was a dot, dot, dot at the end of that sentence. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, these stupid de books are better than they have any right to be, and that is 100% on the shoulders of Tom Taylor. This is fun and dumb, and I hate it, but I love it it's a buy it
0: does this frighten you at all that what if DC is moving to a place where they're like hey our movies don't make any fucking sense together why do our comics need to make any sense it's all else world weirdo shit <laughs> you know? hey,
1: I mean that's what Uh-oh. that's basically what DC's whole MO was from the 50s through the 70s yeah
0: and I'm afraid they're going back it was just there.
1: like here's a story about Superman and Batman having teenage boys <laughs> like out of the blue for no reason
0: I do not want it to go back there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: My first review is Devil's Highway, number one from AWA. That stands for artists, writers, and artisans. A string of murders across America's heartland causes a young woman with a dark past to return home after she learns that her father was one of the victims. Ooh. Ooh. Now, I've been a fan of writer Benjamin Percy's Marvel work, especially on X-Force and Wolverine. Uh, But this just left me cold. The dialogue is fine. There's a vaguely supernatural or cultish angle that could be interesting. But I felt like the story just barely got going. Instead, we get page after page after page of repeated panels and reaction shots featuring inconsistent art by Brent Schoonover. Schoonover's style isn't bad. It it felt like very much in the vein of Cliff Chang to me but the execution is all over the place, especially with anatomy. Like he could not decide how big that girl's forehead was supposed to be. In some pages, she had a three head and some pages she had a five head. It was rough. (laughs) Yeah. Props though, to colorist Nick Filardi, whose palette invokes the necessary darkness uh, that the story requires without rendering everything too heavily in dark and muddy colors. Devil's Highway number one is another AWA debut that shows promise but didn't manage to hook me. I'm giving it a skim. It. I liked this. I
0: and I kind of disagree on the art. I I don't think the art is as crazy as you think it is. There there was a couple panels definitely where things got a little weird, but I thought Scunnever did a really good job here. I think Fulardi does an amazing job making this feel real moody. I had. My problem was, and it was the same problem I had with another book reviewed not too long ago, and I cannot summon the name of it, but the main character is out for vengeance, and I get that, but she's like a total shithead, and this is not me saying "I would like her if she smiled more or something like that, but she's doing things that are completely illegal to get where like there's she no needs reason to, to be. care. Yeah. About her plight. Right. And it makes it hard to care about the character, whether she was a woman or a man. I would have the same commentary. You know, It like, I get that the Punisher shows up and murders people. That's what he does. But we haven't established this character at all. And there's a couple scenes where I go, all right, she's in pain. She's upset. Her dad was killed. There's a bigger mystery and stuff. But she also just kind of, like, runs roughshod over this town and yeah
1: well, <laughs> you know. like, other other than that other than that scene with her dad in the morgue yeah the only other piece of character work we really get is like she's in her childhood bedroom and she stares at her old teddy bear right and then tosses it to the side. Yeah
0: and Ooh. It was like oh okay tough girl and and there is like yeah. some like legit creepy stuff a snake crawls out of a dead girl's mouth even though that girl's in the snow and the snake probably would be frozen but whatever (laughs) i'm giving this a skim as well it's magic shit (laughs) yeah i'm
1: giving it a skim as well yeah it's not even that i'm not saying i thought the art was bad i just thought like there were some jarring inconsistencies for me and i thought that i thought that percy could have sacrificed some of his repeated images over and over to insert a little bit more character and and plot into the story.
0: No, I don't totally disagree, but I, I thought he did a better job than than you are giving him credit for because you're kind of a jerk. But anyway, my next review goes to Sacred Six. It's number one from Dynamite. Your creative team is Christopher Priest, who's been killing it on Vampirella, by the way. I've been reading Vampirella monthly and I can't you say liar, that I have right. ever done that in my life. It's really good. There's a very lengthy intro to this comic that lays out the story of a vampire in a human town that have been feuding in the pages of Priest Vampirella series, which was helpful. But I even reading that series, I still found myself a little lost. When the story kicks off, we find two kids that are walking home, one is telling a flashback story to ancient Egypt, and then all of a sudden Chastity is here filming a zombie movie with what might be actual zombies, and then all of a sudden Panther is here working with a human from the religious zealot community that wants to kill the vamps, there's a lot going on. Ibarra's art is fantastic, and it works really well to tell the other side of the story. Jay Lee is illustrating the first part, and he's just wonderful as usual. His lines are very sharp and clean, and Ibarra has a more scratchy style that kind of reminds me of Trevor Hairsign, who will pop up later on in our reviews. story is some of the best Vampirella stuff I've encountered. I know that's not saying a lot, but the fact that I even say that is a huge mark for me, okay? but there is just a little too much going on here for anyone not reading the other series. That is the only reason I'm giving it a skim it. Now he did everything in his power to encourage you to go and read the Vampirella series. They're like, this happened here. This happened here. This setup took place here. So they're doing it right, but I'm still giving it a skim.
1: Yeah. Same here. I like I don't want to be a jerk, but I you like I could give two shits about any chaos characters, reimagined or otherwise. So when you're like, yeah, it's Vampirella, okay, all right, Vampirella, she's a an existing thing who's had comics that I've enjoyed. And then it's chastity and panther. I'm like, <laughs> ah I don't no, nah, I don't I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't need it. I, I agree the art is good. The art is very good. I get um, that, but like you got to admit, this, like you can take any character and write them well. I guess, I guess. I do agree that there was a lot going on and that if you're not following the main books, that you're not going to be... You're not going to be very plugged in to what's going on with the characters if you're not already following. You could definitely be a little lost, no doubt. Um, so, like, I, I had an opposite issue uh, in which I'll discuss with the Willow comic which takes place after this huge event in the Buffy comics, but I thought that the writer there was like, it gave, they gave me everything I needed to engage with that story, even though I hadn't read that Buffy event.
0: That's fair. In fact, why don't you use that as a lead-in to your next review? Because I don't disagree at all.
1: All right. Well, I'm giving this a skim it as well. It, well-written, beautiful art. Had a tough time engaging with it. Fair enough. As foreshadowed, my next review is of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Colin Willow, number one from Boom Studios. I am so far behind on Boom's rebooted Buffy universe, so I thought I'd check in and see how things are going with everyone's favorite teenage witch. Sorry, Sabrina. Turns out, not great. <laughs> <laughs> Some big time shit has gone down and it basically broke Willow to the point that she left Sunnydale to get away from everyone and everything. I loved the way writer Mariko Tamaki's script got to the heart of just how alone Willow feels, despite finding a new group to be a part of. Of course, there has to be a supernatural conflict eventually, and Tamaki hints at something really sinister lurking beneath a seemingly benign situation. Natasha Bustos' artwork is stellar. It complements the style that's found in the main series very well, and even the pages of serious self-reflection are a pleasure to look at. As opposed to uh, the Sacred Six, which we just talked about, Willow Number One is just about as an accessible as a spinoff comic to a major event can be, uh, thanks to some excellent writing and recapping and beautiful art. I'm definitely sticking around for this one. I'm giving Willow Number One a buy it. I totally agree. They,
0: I haven't read this book for quite a while, and I was able to jump right into it. Uh, Tamaki's an excellent writer And brutal bummer She's been on Twitter lately Talking about how she was treated at DC When she was writing Batgirl I think Um, I don't remember But like she was talking about how like Look, I didn't even get called into editorial meetings I didn't know what was going on I would write stuff that didn't make it to the page (laughs) You know, like somebody else Would get an, an, an issue here when I wasn't around I'm glad they're giving her the freedom To do what she's doing at Boom And she's killing it and the art was lovely. This is a great book, and Buffy is still a fantastic read. I'm also giving it a buy it.
1: Uh, maybe it was, uh, might be Wonder Woman you're thinking of?
0: No, it was. It was before that because she was talking about when it was the Bat editorials that she was talking about.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, she, that could be. I I don't remember. I I had fallen off of Batgirl
0: long ago. My next review is a weird one. It's All America Comics number one from Image. This came out on the first of July. Joe Casey is on the writing duties here, and the art is by Dustin Wynn. For one reason or another, Joe Casey is telling a Miss America Chavez story here at Image, (laughs) But her name is America Vasquez. Like, there's no question. That's what's going on Like, that's exactly what this is, right? Right. Joe Casey created the character Miss America Chavez, who has been notably absent from Marvel Comics for a while right? I mean, she hasn't been
1: in any of the uh, champion stuff. I'm trying to remember the, le- Oh, uh, she was in West coast Avengers. The most recent West coast Avengers by Kelly Thompson. Okay. Fair. But for some reason, and he's not
0: even trying to hide it. They don't even go out of their way to hide the homages here. I mean, the Avengers show up and Cap's shield is slightly different shaped, and iron man's in like a little bulkier armor, but there's no question. Dr. Doom is here. Uh, Dr. You're Octopus, like she, you, all the way year. up to like she's creating interdimensional portals. Yeah, like I mean, these this is her and her powers. Vasquez yeah. is just as tough as she was at Marvel, but she's more of a solo player here and kind of proud of it. Casey uses a lot of Instagram posts to set up Vasquez's character and the world, and they come off as genuine for a kid, I guess, but it is a little cloying for older nerds like me. I really like this character at Marvel and it's a shame if Casey can't figure out a way to tell her story there because Marvel really does need like a badass Latina Wonder Woman and honestly, I don't know how interested I am to read her story here. Not that it's bad and Wins art is excellent as usual and maybe I just need to get like out of my inside baseball head here and enjoy the fucking story, but... I could only give this a skim it because the whole time I was just like, why is this happening here?
1: What is this? What are we doing? I mean, it, it's it's very clear that he had more tales to tell with his character. Definitely.
0: And he didn't have a chance to do it. But are you really telling me that Joe Casey comes to Marvel and says, hey, I've got a Miss America Chavez story to tell. And I created the character and they say, no.
1: Well, I mean. She she was created in a very low-selling weird miniseries called Vengeance. Right. Uh, which was about like the kids of supervillains or something. I don't even remember it barely. Uh yeah. Uh, and then they immediately shoved her in the next iteration of The Young Avengers by Kieran Gillen. Right. So, like, they took her away basically and gave her to a different writer. And she's bounced around since then from Young Avengers to A-Force to. Uh, What was it? The Ultimates, the all new Ultimates, or whatever it was? And then
0: ultimately the West Coast Avengers.
1: And then, yeah. So I I think that basically he lost control of this character that he obviously has an affection for. Um, You were spot on. Like, I'm most of the homages are so blatantly obvious that, like, if they did more than one issue of this, they'd probably get a letter from a lawyer. There's like a Doctor Doom
0: thing, but the character's name is like Imperator. Dowd, Dowd, right? Which means like uh, I'm trying death to figure out whatever. who this
1: character on the last page is. I, I can't, is he, is he Captain Marvel I, or or I Quentin can't Quire? I tell. I think he's a new. Uh, he's somebody
0: new. Maybe I don't know if it because he. Oh, it, maybe Marvel Boy. Possibly, I could Man. be. But he was the one character. that was like, well, that is the only character I'm not. 100% certain <laughs> right. of who that's supposed to be, you know? Right.
1: But like, the, so I'm looking back over it and there's this page where uh, she punches a doom bot in the face. I'm sorry, a doubt bot. A doubt bot. Come on, get uh, it right. And she, and she yells, kaboom, queen. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's clear where the affection's coming from, but I agree. Like I wish that he'd a, he'd had a chance to do this with the actual America Chavez, yeah. I'm giving it a skimmit next up for me is Lois Lane number twelve from DC. Greg Rucka and Mike Perkins conclude their twelve issue run featuring DC's most famous crusading journalist. I've really enjoyed how Rucka's story weaved real world political stuff and cosmic events together. Like this issue deals a lot with exploring the toll a multiversal reboot can have on a normal person or family. Seems to be a lot of that going on in DC
0: right now, actually.
1: I've never seen DC, like, address that sort of thing where it's like, yeah, people are starting to figure out that their lives are different than they should be. Yeah. And they're kind of traumatized by it. I don't know if DC is just, like, owning it
0: at this point, but I kind of like it. And it's a very... You know this is Bendis. You know that Bendis is, like... Let's stop fighting it. Let's just own it.
1: Let's let the characters just figure it out. (laughs) Well, they were going to do this 5G thing, and I wonder if that's what that whole 5G thing was supposed to be, but I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was, definitely, but uh, maybe not anymore. Yeah. Rucka has also embraced some of his favorite concepts from the past, like characters from his Checkmate run, uh, whether they've been introduced or dealt with in modern continuity or not. Like, there's a character (laughs) in here, uh, Jessica Midnight. I don't think I've seen her since the new 52 started. Yeah. I completely forgot. I had to look her up. Yeah. Me too. And there's a direct reference uh, to her working for the black queen of checkmate. Yeah. And as far as I think most writers are concerned, Brian, Michael of Bendis is quote unquote, introducing checkmate right now (laughs) Uh, in his event, Leviathan stuff.
0: But then again, maybe checkmate knows and has been around and they're well aware like, yeah, maybe things Better. have been rebooted and we need to fix this. I don't know.
1: <laughs> we'll find maybe, out. maybe. Uh, Mike Perkins, who I normally enjoy, was all over the place here. Uh, beautiful in parts and really muddy in others. There were a couple of other artists attributed to uh, this issue whose names I neglected to write down. I apologize. So it's a little inconsistent, but still overall, I really liked this run. I thought that this was a good capper uh, to the arc so far. I do hope that this team, or at least Rucca himself, has more stories to tell because I think that the world I think that the market can handle a Lois Lane solo book.
0: Okay, so I didn't I'm giving it a buy it. Oh, sorry. I didn't read the whole thing. I started reading it and I got so lost with some of the checkmate stuff that I was like, maybe I've missed way too much and I need to go back and finish. Like because I fell off with like issue six. And I really sure. like the book. So Listening to your review, it makes me think. No, Matt, you didn't miss anything. There's definitely something weird going on with continuity here.
1: <laughs> so. uh, I mean, I don't know if there's na- I don't know if there's anything weird going on with continuity, or if just or if Rucka's just ignoring it. Yeah, that's. Um, it's like, these are the characters that I wrote, just as I have always written
0: them. It's very hard to know at DC right now. Yeah, honestly. So
1: who knows? And who knows if this book
0: even shows up at your comic book store? This is the first week, I believe that. Everybody gets uh,
1: comics from their new. From- no, it, it's not the first week, but uh, I did just before recording uh, see a report that one of our local shops didn't get DC comics at all due to an internal error, and now all the books are on back order, so they'll probably never get them. NATO, all
0: right,
1: screw yeah, you, Diamond so-
0: Comics. We don't need you. <laughs> great, great job, DC. You did it. My next review goes to... Do you have a rating for Lois Lane? No, I didn't finish it because I stopped reading it is what I said. Oh, you didn't read number 12? No, No, I started reading it and I was so like baffled as to what was going on (laughs) that I thought this is not fair and I need to finish the series. So I'll I'll go back and read it. I did enjoy it and I want to read it. So it's a potential buy it for me. How's that? Fair. My next review is The Grieveling, number one from Clover Press. Steve Niles returns to write this... Horror question mark book with Damien Worm on art. Young outcast that regularly visits her mother's grave at a local graveyard gets bullied by schoolmates who accidentally almost kill her. But she's saved by the spirits of the graves that she lays flowers on when they summon the Grieveling to possess her body. Which seems kind of irresponsible, but I mean, hey, (laughs) who am I to judge? You know, now she has supernatural powers, and that's about as far as we get in issue one of this two-part story. I'm not sure if this is only actually a two-part story, because the last page says, next month, the conclusion of the Grieveling, but if it is... Niles sure has a lot to tie up pretty quick. Most of the time is spent here with the bully teens that make some fairly psychotic choices for the plot's sake. We don't learn much about the grieving at all, and there just can't be much there if the story ends with the next issue. Now, if this is like the end of chapter one... They did a really bad job of wording that because I would read issue number one and go, Well, fuck all this. <laughs> like, it's a very, so- there's some very solid creepy art by Worm. I'll give it that. But there's nothing here. This cannot just be a two part story if you've just introduced this weird supernatural superhero thing. And then you're going to tie it all up and it ends in issue two. I don't
1: get it. <laughs> The, the, uh, the, 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 the mystic circle of resurrected zombies or whatever. Right. Summon the Grieveling into the, into the girl. And, and, and the girl literally, m- the girl's mom. Uh, it there. ends, it ends with her dead mom going, well, good luck. Yeah.
0: Mom is there. She's like, no, 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 don't do this. And they're like, it's the only way to save her. And they're like, is it? Well, maybe we don't then. <laughs> you no, know? I mean it sucks that she died, sure, but like this yeah. seems like a like, bad literally, idea. Li- literally, this ghost says best of luck. Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> and walks then that's away. The- I'm giving it a it, because there's some interesting stuff here and potentially a story that could be a fun sort of horror, supernatural, superhero kind of story. But if it's only two fucking issues, then what is the goddamn point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't get it, this. This read to me like a a rushed adaptation of a straight to DVD horror movie. It really like, did. This read like Jeepers this, Creepers four.
0: The script was written on a napkin, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I I totally agree with you. It, it's it didn't get far enough along in one issue to justify a conclusion in the second issue. Yeah. And what the fuck? <laughs> the kids. The kids that accidentally kill the girl when they find out that she's not dead decide to double down and burn down her house yeah. with her whole family. Then it's in like, it.
0: we have to murder her.
1: <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> there's so many ways around this. You know, you go
0: and beg for forgiveness. You're like, oh, my God. Thank God you're OK. We panicked or whatever. Or you just ignore it and act like nothing happened because they're dumb kids. <laughs> but like, let's go burn our fucking house
1: down. Yeah, <laughs> seems a little intense. Those <laughs> kids, those kids deserve to get horribly murdered. Yes. By this grief monster. <laughs> yeah, totally. And if that's the
0: end of it, I don't care. Like ah, the grieving strikes the end. Blah. Okay, thanks.
1: Yeah, right. I'd be like, okay, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm giving this a skim it because uh, I liked the art. The art was good. I thought good. the art was good. It reminded me of who is that artist? Um, Nate Bellagarde, I think is his name. He did the He did a book called Hector Plasm, uh, for Image that hmm. I really liked. I I like. I enjoyed this art. Um. And Steve Niles is an, a writer who I enjoy in theory, but I can't remember the last time I actually loved something he did. I
0: think there's a larger discussion there. Like looking back, like is Steve Niles a hall of famer? You know what I mean? I think, <laughs> or is he, I think, or is he just like a pretty good point guard? You know? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. He like was good to have around. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. He did a great, uh, like he wasn't the
1: worst. I think, I think Steve Niles is a writer. That's got so many ideas and an almost unlimited platform upon yes. which to release them.
0: He is a he is definitely an idea factory. And yeah, I yeah, don't know what Clover probably. Press is. And I'm not gonna talk smack about any small presses, but it strikes me that maybe he was doing someone a favor.
1: Uh so the editor was listed as Ted Adams, and I believe Ted Adams was the founder of IDW. Oh, really? Which totally makes sense because that's where Niles got his big yeah, start.
0: And they were they were definitely bros. So that could be. Yeah, so but what a weird way to, okay, great. How This is how we kick off Clover Press? A two-issue Grieveling special? I mean, okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't get
1: it, it. It didn't really do much uh, for me other than the nice artwork. We've talked about this too much. Yeah, we have. All right, our final review of the week goes to Empire, colon, Fantastic Four, number zero from Marvel. I don't know why it's labeled number zero. Right. When it's a one-shot, you can just label it with a number one or no number at all. Guys. Right.
0: The Avengers one was labeled zero as well, which is just, yes, stupid. I know.
1: It's, it's just stupid. Dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Rider Dan slot takes on cosmic war profiteering in this one shot that sets up the events of empire. The FF are stranded in space and have no choice, but to throw Ben Graham in the cosmic gladiator ring to earn money for their ship's repairs. Of course, shenanigans ensue. There's some underage gambling and some very illegal cheating. And we are introduced to yet another Elder of the Universe that we had not heard of before now. Uh, much like we were in uh, No Road Home? Ain't no, no road, surrender, ain't no Road Home no more. I, I think it was Avengers No Surrender. Oh, it was No Surrender. Where we, yeah. where we learned about uh, uh, that, one, that one, the brother of the Grandmaster or whoever yes. it was. RB Silva's art is excellent. Helped along by Sean Isaacs and color artists uh, Marty Gracia and Marcio Menes. I love his take on the thing especially. Uh, And his alien creature designs are awesome. Now, I have not been in love with Slot's take on the FF since their most recent relaunch, but I loved Empire FF's look at the different side to war and, you know, the cost it takes on, on real citizens and how, like, the war machine keeps running even when the war is over. And I have to admit that these last two one shots as bafflingly as they are labeled, have me pretty pumped up for the main event and I'm giving it a buy it.
0: I love the story. I I thought it's fantastic. And it's about some, it's about time that somebody takes on the hard hitting issue of cosmic war profiteering. God damn it. That's right. So thank you for dragging that out, Dan slot. I take umbrage with RB Silva's. Thing and here's why, really, he looks perfectly cool. Don't get me wrong, but RB Silva drew the thing like Paul Chadwick draws concrete, and then they used some type of digital inking filter or something to be like, and then yeah, there's the rocks that are on the thing. He cheated, hold on, hold on, he hold on. totally Let me look at it again. cheated. Look at it, all he did was draw the outline of the thing and his face. And they digitized some rocks in there. Well, they drew the line. He drew the lines, right? He drew the outline. I'll give you that. (laughs) I mean, he drew the outline of each shingle, right? No, I don't think so. If you look at it, I honestly think I'm looking at it right now, too. Hold on. I'm looking at it right now, too. And he drew a blob, and they literally CG'd in some rock stuff. There's no question. Like, a couple of those, maybe. Maybe I'll give you that, but this is the laziest thing I've ever, does it look cool? Yes, it looks cool. This is the laziest thing I've ever seen drawn. That's all I'm saying.
1: Now I'm looking at it again here and I see what you're getting at, but it is not as egregious as what you're describing. I'm not, look, I'm not saying that like, it's either
0: cheating. Tell me they're not cheating. Jack it's not Kirby- cheating. It's part of the color is part of the art. Jack Kirby drew every rock on that character. Look, I, look I'm not saying that I'm an the expert thing, or anything, but I'm looking at every this, and I can rock. definitely
1: see rocks as part
0: of the regular black Give line work. A break. I get break. Look, and I totally understand. I'm Silva. I don't want to draw that many rocks. That's a pain in the no, ass. No,
1: you're making it out <laughs> like he's some sort of lazy weirdo, but no.
0: <laughs> I very much enjoyed the story though, and I like this a lot more than Dan Slot's other Fantastic Four stuff. If the regular FF was more like this, I would enjoy it more. It's a lot of fun, and I'm fired up for Empire, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit here.
1: Yeah, I mean, with all of its stupid plant ghost people, I don't don't even, it's the weirdest era in Avengers history, and here we are making a big event out of it. I can't remember who it
0: was. I think it was like from the Bronze Age Twitter or something was talking about the Swordsman the other week and they were like, (laughs) they're like, Swordsman never did it for me. Screw the Swordsman. I'm like, I bet you're eating your words now that he's a plant man in the pages of Empire. And he was like, you got me there. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) yep, I guess I'm
1: in. (laughs) Chug! That's it for your new comic reviews this week and Chug! Is the sound made by She-Hulk as she sucks down an orange Julius, as seen on the 1986 collectible Marvel cup from Orange Julius? This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Zan, who goes by at Form of Water on the Twitter, and you can bet our man Zan longs for the day when you could add a raw egg to your orange Julius. Gross. No, it was so good, it made it creamy and absolutely fucking delicious. I won't
0: yeah. do it anymore because of some bullshit fear of raw eggs.
1: If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week Please send it to any of our social media accounts Or send an email to Toatednerd at gmail.com Better yet Be like Joe Bankus Call us and make the noise Tell us where it came from And we will play it on the show We'll hear that phone number at least 8 times Before the show is over 402-819-4894
0: And I have it on good authority That Joe Bankus has had sex with a ton of strangers That he met on the internet because of that
1: I can't disprove it
0: (laughs) now that we're done with the reviews it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we must make our must read picks for next Wednesday July 15th or the hoary host of Hoggath will curse us back to the toilet for yet another week Joe Patrick what is your pick? I just got off of there. I
1: know <laughs> we fucked up. We took a week off and we paid for it. <laughs> uh, my pick for next week is empire. Number one from Marvel comics written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, with art by Valerio Skeety. It's 48 pages for five 99. You're just solicit the Kree and the scrolls have united under a new emperor and their war fleet is on a collision course for our world. Bullet. On the moon, the Avengers are ready to strike with the full power of Earth's mightiest heroes. Approaching from outer space, the Fantastic Four are seeking a diplomatic solution. Bullet! If the two teams can't work together to save the day, things
0: can only get worse. I mean, I guess that's true.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, that's an accurate statement.
0: Yeah, they can't work together. We're, we're in big trouble.
1: All right, well, we already went on and on about how much we're excited for Empire. Uh, It's out next Wednesday, uh, along with uh, uh, at least two or three other comics because the release schedule these days is just completely ridiculous. Yeah,
0: well, COVID came and ruined the world, including your new (laughs) comics.
1: So there you go. Uh, That's why Matt Baum has picked a handful of reprints for his pick of the week. Now, time out. I am cheating
0: a little bit, and I admit that, but this is such a fantastic time. If you missed any of these books, Image does this thing called Image Firsts. They cost a dollar, one dollar, and you can go and get the first issue of several of these series that we have talked about and completely loved if you missed them. Coming out next week, check out this list. Birthright, Black Magic, Copra, Descender, Curse Words, out of alphabetical order because that's how I like to do it. Fatal, Headlopper. Monstrous, Moonstruck, Paper Girls, Rat Queens, Saga, Seven to Eternity, Snot Girl, for some reason, Spawn.
1: (laughs) I mean, some of these had already come out.
0: Age of Bronze, The Fix, The Goddamned. There are so many of these. The Walking Dead, number one. They're all coming out for a dollar think tank, another book that we completely loved. If you miss them, this is your chance to check out the first issue for one friggin' dollar. If you buy them all, if you went and bought all of them, it's going to run you 12 bucks. Why not go
1: check these that's books a, out? That's a, and a, a- That's especially a steal on that headlopper because those books were like prestige. Totally. The the number one. Six bucks. And I'm pretty sure headlopper number one contains the
0: whole thing for a dollar. Go pick these up. We've raved about these books and chances are, who knows, you missed them at the time or you didn't have time to check it out or it was already gone and it's on eBay for 15 bucks. Go pick these up. All of these series are wonderful and I love that Image does this. I wish Marvel... And DC would do stuff like this, too, to pump stuff up.
1: Well, Marvel did it for a while, and, and uh, they have their True Believers reprints, which they still put out. I just, you know, they don't get a lot of press. Fair enough. All right, well, that's a good tip from Matt Palm. The THN trade of the week goes to The Adventure Zone, Volume 3. I'm going to pick every single one of them, even though Matt hates them. I don't hate them. I just don't care about
0: them. I love the podcast. It's wonderful. I just don't care about the graphic novels, okay?
1: That's fine. (laughs) Now go. (laughs) Uh, This is the adaptation of the third arc, Petals to the Metal. It comes in hardcover and softcover. It's from First Second, written by the McElroy family with art by Carrie Peach. It's 272 pages for $19.99 in softcover, $26.99 in hardcover. What a steal. Here's your solicit. Clint McElroy and sons Griffin, Justin, and Travis hit the road again with Taco, Magnus, and Myrtle, the beloved agents of chaos from the number one New York Times bestselling graphic novels. Our boys have gone full-time at the Bureau of Balance and their next assignment is a real thorny one. Apprehending the Raven, a master thief who's tapped into the power of a grand relic to ransack the city of Goldcliff. Local lifesaver Lieutenant Hurley pulls them out of the woods, only to throw them headlong into the world of battle wagon racing. Goldcliff's favorite high stakes, low legality sport, and the Raven's chosen battlefield. Will the boys and Hurley be able to reclaim the relic and pull the Raven back from the brink? Or will they get lost in the weeds? It's a little bit of both. That's a little bit of a store boiler for you. (laughs) Uh, Pedals to the metal. Uh, my favorite story arc of the Adventure Zone is Murder on the Rockport Limited which was volume 2 this one is a close second it is a mix between a bank heist movie and Mad Max Fury Road with the guy with the flaming guitar it is completely bonkers it's so nice it's great Um, I, I love the books I know maybe they're not for everyone but it's absolutely my number one pick for next week's trade of the week
0: now, be sure to go hit up your local comic shops and add these comics to your list so you can read along at home. Let us know what you're reading as well. And if we're picking stuff that you hate, hit us up, tell us. Like, what the hell, you guys? You like this crap? I want to hear from you guys. Please, you can hit us up on our Twitters, on our Facebook. You can email us at two-headednerd or you can call us at 402-819-4894 and leave a message. Feel free
1: to threaten our lives We love death threats.
0: Oh, we love them.
1: Counterpoint, I don't want to hear it if you don't like what we're picking, because in these unprecedented times, the pickings are slim. I don't mind hearing it. I mean, maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're missing Uh, something.
0: And they are. You guys, there is something going on in the pages of My Little Pony that is changing comics, and you assholes aren't even paying attention.
1: You know? Who knows? We could be wrong. Okay? That's all I'm saying. You're right, Matt. I, I... I'm willing to be proven wrong. As you may or may not have noticed, we took last week off for the holiday, but it just didn't seem right not to share our planned 4th of July celebration with you nerds. So it's time to visit the THN Cosmic Longbox to revisit two of comics' most patriotic soldiers' first appearances. We're talking about Sergeants Rock and Fury. Matt? Sergeant Rock showed up on the scene first. I regret giving this one to you, but why
0: don't you start us off? (laughs) You know, what's really interesting about this, and we'll get into it more when we talk about Sergeant Fury's first appearance, but this comic book came out in 1959, and I want you to file that for when we do start talking about the book that Joe talks about. It was Our Army at War, number 83, was your first appearance of Sergeant Rock. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about some prototypes where he popped up a little earlier later on. Robert Kaniger was your writer, and Joe Kubert, the legendary Joe Kubert, is on art here. Easy Company has just made its first appearance in Our Army at War, issue 81, but this is the first appearance of its leader and all-around badass, Sergeant Rock. But Kaniger doesn't focus so much on Sergeant Rock. He focuses more on another character, Joe Wall who will help establish just how badass Sergeant Rock really is. The story opens with almost a Norman Rockwell-inspired spread, featuring Rock gently holding another character, who I mentioned, Joe Wall, who makes his first appearance, as he's firing a 50 caliber machine gun and sort of smiling at him a little bit. Like, I op- I looked at this and was like, all right, what are we doing here?
1: <laughs> the story he's- is... he's. He's helping him. He's helping him up. But
0: we don't know that at the time. That's the first page of the book. Keep in mind, all right? The story is pretty straightforward. The troops are all talking about the new badass Sarge leading Easy Company, but one new recruit, a big guy named Joe Wall, he doesn't think the Sarge looks so tough. Easy ends up pinned down in a foxhole with a tank approaching and a bunch of troops, like in single file line behind the tank, so Joe goes out and lays down, in the tank treads and pins grenades to him, and then he plays dead, and the troops are like, ah, screw this guy. The tank blows up, and Rock and the rest of Easy Company storm the Ratsies, and they win the day. Now, Joe thinks he's all that after this, but later he gets pinned down in a downed B-1 bomber with Rock. Wall gets shot while the two are manning the B-1 bomber's 50 caliber machine guns, and Rock picks him up, and puts him back on the gun and helps him start shooting again. And in that moment, Joe Wall looks at Sergeant Rock and is like, holy shit, this dude did not hesitate. He is not scared. And Wall, when he got shot, has this, like, moment where he's like, oh, man, I'm just a human being. I'm not the badass I thought I was. I'm I'm not even a soldier. What am I doing here? I'm wounded. And Rock picks him up, puts him on the gun. Like, I have to say... This was like a legit badass moment. <laughs> Kubert's art on these old war comics literally cannot be overstated. Each panel is packed with emotion and bravado, and of course, boom, whap, vip, vip, vip sound effects all over the place. The guy knew how to draw war. I texted Joe right after I read this and said, This story kicked ass. I cannot give this first appearance a Bigger, buy it. Like this was an amazing war comic, and it came out in 1959. Okay, the prototype first appearance of Sergeant Rock. Well, we'll get into the history later. But why don't we why don't we end it there? I'll get my rating. All right, I'm giving this a buy it. And as a first appearance, this is like right up there with some of the best first appearances I've ever read.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm giving this a buy it as well. And uh, I'll get more into like how it contrasts with my pick and my own review. But like you talked about that opening page and I knew immediately what was happening. I knew that rock was holding that man up so that he could keep firing. But it was, a and look, I like, it was I, look I, of Rock's I immediately face. was like, I got a little emotional. It was a look was like, on oh on Rock's
0: face, though. Where
1: I was like, is this a little gay? <laughs> no, because he's not smiling at him. No, he he's, just, is. He's, he's totally got smiling Rock at him. I've got it upright in um, front of me. He's smiling at him. He's <laughs> not smiling at him. But yeah, no, I, I loved this. I loved this uh, it, DC War comics, and i you know I haven't read them all. I haven't even read a lot of them, but DC had a way about doing war comics that was just heads and shoulders above. Some of their contemporaries, especially Marvel, because Marvel was trying to tell superhero stories for kids.
0: And Marvel was telling superhero war stories, whereas DC was telling... And this is a
1: war story. Like, it's for real a legit war story. Like, Sergeant Rock doesn't say a word. Yeah. It's all about how others see him. You know, we don't get any comical goof-em-ups with Nazi soldiers running around. It's like, no. This shit is real. This reminded me of, uh,
0: there's an episode of the, of Band of Brothers, an HBO show, where there's like a very quiet, I I don't think he's a private, I think he's a little higher than that. that They stumble upon him in, in Bastion when everybody's pinned down in the woods, and there's a scene where he just comes running out of the woods, like towards a gun emplacement to distract them. And he's like, fuck this. We're, I'm done. You know, we're getting out of here. And run straight. I mean, everybody just like watches this guy do it. And as they're watching him, they're like, what are we doing? We got to back him up. They're like, oh, my God. You know, yeah. and, and he survives.
1: Like, it was that kind of
0: emotion. This is a fantastic book.
1: It was. It was legitimately great. Contrasting that, <laughs> uh, my review <laughs> is of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number one from Marvel. This came out in 1963. Stanley and Jack Kirby introduced the world-famous Nick Fury in this debut issue, but he's anything but the globe-trotting spy we've all come to know and love. Stan's story is told in the exact same way he's told every story. Uh, as we said, it is a cartoonish version of its chosen genre written for children. Not that that sort of thing doesn't have its place. No but it works way better for monsters or Westerns and of course, superheroes. Yeah. Or the fantastic it, four, for example, right. <laughs> it, it works way better there than it does when trying to illustrate the horrors of war. I love the howling commandos. I really do. Even though they each have a ridiculous character gimmick, that one's a famous actor. That one's a baby faced maniac. Dum dum Dugan <laughs> likes to fire live rounds at his team during training for fun. <laughs> The black one loves jazz, (laughs) and so on.
0: Which, by the way, I would love to be at that oversight committee, and they're like, can you take me back to the moments before Dum Dum Dugan murdered two of his teammates? (laughs) uh, What exactly was going on? Well, we were training. I mean, come on. The war ain't no place for Nancy.
1: (laughs) I forgot the details of this story as soon as I was done reading it. Uh, there was a captured French resistance leader, I guess. Yeah. I thought he was a scientist at first, but no. There's a, there's a beret-wearing blonde that definitely wasn't Peggy Carter, but probably should have been. Fury is assumed dead at least twice in the span of 20 pages. Not even the great Jack Kirby can elevate this mess, uh, thanks to some terrible inks by Dick Ayers. And recoloring so bad oh. that the one black character in the book is literally rendered in gray. He looks like a like, zombie he's gray.
0: They made him look undead.
1: <laughs> it's terrible. Like, like the first appearance of the Hulk gray. It's such a stark contrast to the skill and care that Bob Kaniger and Joe Kubert took telling the story of Sergeant rock just four years earlier. I'm giving this a skim it solely for the historic value. <laughs>
0: I'm giving it a leave
1: it because this was a piece of crap. I think everybody should read all of these classic first appearances just to get a sense of where we came from. I'm not saying read all 160 plus issues of it.
0: I seriously think this was garbage and I love Jack Kirby and I love Jack Kirby working with Stan Lee. I just think they were not the team to make a war comic. They made a war comic that reads like a, Bonkers superhero book, whereas right. Sergeant rock starred in I'm not saying that it, this was like autobiographical or it was amazing you know like war story I mean it's highly fictionalized both of were highly fictional, sure, but it's a much more realistic depiction, and it felt it just felt more real this felt like schlock it was ridiculous it All, was a cartoon it was an absolute cartoon,
1: and yeah like if 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 Sergeant Rock is the uh, saving private Ryan of war comics, uh, Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos is the SWAT cats. (laughs) Okay. Of war comics. (laughs) That's fair.
0: (laughs) Which, okay, which is sad. And because Sergeant Fury became Nick Fury, obviously, and went on to be like a major part of the Marvel universe. And I think everything that we love about Nick Fury is his time as a spy running shield. And, you know, yeah, I mean, like he's an amazing character. I love Nick Fury. Truly love that character. I don't know shit about Sergeant Rock because I haven't read a lot of these war comics to be perfectly honest. Sergeant Rock popped up here and there later on in the DCU. Like I remember back when I think it was Joe Casey was writing Superman during like the Imperiax war and stuff where Sergeant rock was going to fly a suicide mission. Uh, Jeff Loeb. Oh, was it Jeff Loeb? I think Jeff Loeb was writing one and maybe Casey was writing the other. Joe Kelly, Joe Kelly. That's right. If Jeff Loeb was writing, I want to say Superman and Joe Kelly Kelly was writing 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 action, action, I believe. And like Sergeant rock popped up there later on. When Lex Luthor became president, Sergeant Rock was the secretary of defense, which is ironic because— No,
1: no, 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 no. That, it was—
0: Yeah. It was Sam, it was Sam Lane. He was, he was definitely there because I remember when researching this, they say, well, Sergeant Rock died from the last bullet fired the last on the last day fired World yeah. of World War II. Until he wasn't dead anymore in the pages of Swamp Thing where he popped up for some reason. (laughs) And, like, he would pop up here and there. And they sort of alluded to the fact that there's something multiversal going on, as DC likes to do. But Nick Fury has been a constant. Nick Fury is, I mean, Nick Fury's died countless times, but he's Nick Fury. So we always know he's going to come back. He was chief of staff. Chief of staff, okay.
1: He was chief of staff and, and Sam, Lois's dad, General Lane, was the secretary of defense. Okay.
0: But like, and that's really, I mean, like then there was that Suicide Squad book where he ran the Suicide Squad for a little bit. But then I think they revealed it was like his grandson or something. Well, no, they hinted to like this larger mystery with him and then the book got canceled. So we never found out because like there's a part where I think it's Amanda Waller comes to him and is like, I got a big problem here, Rock, and we need to talk about it. And he's like, what's that? And she's like, you died on the last day of World War II being shot by the last bullet fired in the war. But here you are walking around much younger than you should be. What's up with that? And he went, well, canceled.
1: And we never found out what happened. So, <laughs> all, right. all right. So here's, here's what I found. And it, it is all a blur. Right. Uh frank rock as he was as he was resurrected in in the post-crisis he died during our worlds at war and then they revealed that sergeant rock actually did die at the close of world war ii and that uh every appearance we've seen of him since then were not really him who is it uh well in suicide squad it was an unnamed son god that's dumb Yeah, (laughs) it's dumb.
0: (laughs) I just feel like they've done DC has done Sergeant Rock so dirty. They they really have because this is a great character that you could do some kick-ass shit with. And Nick Fury, I'm not taking anything away from Jack Kirby, so don't at me. I love Jack Kirby, I'll go on record as loving everything the guy does. But the original (laughs) Sergeant Fury. That has been inflated into later Nick Fury, leader of S.H.I.E.L.D., was a dumb character out of a bad book,
1: out of a really bad I book. I mean, it's just, it, just, it just goes to show that everything we love about Nick Fury as we know him came later. It yeah, just I mean, came later. It really, the Jim and Staranko, And really, Sergeant Rock was always that one thing. Yeah, it was Jim Staranko Until they
0: drug him back out from the grave, that he was always just that one thing. Right, it was Jim Staranko that made Nick Fury the Nick Fury that we love.
1: Well, let me roll into my history here. Uh, Two years after the launch of Howling Commandos, while the original series was still going strong, Fury was recast as Colonel Nick Fury, agent of the newly formed S.H.I.E.L.D. in the pages of Strange Tales number 135. That was by Jack Kirby. Uh, He was now a Cold War spy in the vein of James Bond and the man from U.N.C.L.E. Jim Steranko began work on the feature in 1966 and then very famously Spun him off into his own psychedelic spy series, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in 1968. Which, if you haven't uh, which, read and it, that's just oh, fantastic stuff. Oh, my God. And the, and that's the Nick Fury we knew for decades. Yeah. Decades and decades and decades. And that's the one you and, and I, you know, I love. There, there were ups and downs with the character like any any superhero character. Like, he was dead for a while, and then they revealed it was an LMD and blah, blah, blah.
0: The Punisher shot him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was a whole thing. And so he...
1: <laughs> He stayed in this role for decades, eventually becoming a fugitive after the events of BM Bendis's secret war. Uh, He would later bring together the secret warriors and expose Hydra's secret connection to shield, which would go on to inspire uh, the captain America winter soldier film. Yeah. Eventually. And this is where, you know, they just stop caring. Uh, Fury would decide (laughs) to murder the Watcher for reasons no one remembers in Original Sin. And he became a weird cosmic oracle living on the moon while his previously unknown son, who looks suspiciously like Samuel L. Jackson, joined the ranks of S.H.I.E.L.D. And now that's Nick Fury. Yeah, we haven't seen Nick Fury since, right? He's gone. Um, you no, know, he actually uh, was in the most recent run of Exiles uh, written by Saladin Ahmed
0: of exiles but was yeah it- they
1: they remember they did a re- they did a revival of exiles oh, a year right. or two ago where
0: he was like he was like i'm still the man on the wall and i'm and commanding he was the guy you- that sent him on
1: missions yeah. yeah
0: to go to do different stuff in multiversal places so yeah,
1: yeah. oh boy so i it, like, it's so weird like both characters kind of had these ignoble ends but fury undoubtedly became the more important character
0: yeah and I would argue he, that Sergeant Rock, his character, is so much like better <laughs> from a historical standpoint, well, and from a comic yeah, I mean, yeah, standpoint. From a standpoint sure. I mean, just I'm just saying, like, if you want to go back to the roots, which we just did, Sergeant Rock's character is so much better.
1: Why and, can't DC do ag- something again, with him? In fairness to what we read today, if you were to ask me what I was more interested in reading on a regular basis sergeant rock comics or agent of shield comics
0: oh yeah no i'm with you 100 percent.
1: but if you wanted to like put a gun to my head read this jack kirby classic or this uh uh sergeant rock comic i'd be like sergeant rock please yeah 100 percent every day <laughs> no question <laughs> just like night and day how how different they were
0: that was a fun little trip back to the cosmic long box there And I I I love that like going back and looking at first appearances and stuff and like just looking at the history of the characters and where they ended up. And it's easy for us to be like, well, it's just not fair. Nick Fury got all the pub and Sergeant Rock's gone, whatever. But you know, I mean, it is what it is. If nothing else, maybe Sergeant Rock got to die. And Nick Fury probably should have died a long time ago. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) You would have been better off. Yeah, who knows. Excelsior!
0: That is it for THN 580! Next week, we're going to be talking about the Netflix adaptation of Greg Rucka's Old Guard. So be sure to read and watch it, because we want to compare and contrast, so you can play along. Until then, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week.
1: I need to uh, reread some of those so that I'm...
0: I've, I've forgotten most of it. I reread them all last night. I sat down and was like, I should catch
1: up on this. And I burned through them. That book. There's piece. not many. But they're double sized and they're excellent. God, they're great. Nice. Uh, this week's question was submitted by Matt, inspired by our last conversation about Warhammer coming to Marvel Comics. What is your favorite fictional lore, such as the history of your favorite fictional universe or deep background? about a fictional person place or thing get as broad or as specific if you like if all you want to do is talk about the long and storied history of the elder of the universe known as the gardener yeah
0: let's hear it perhaps you have some like deep fan fiction on the uh living tribunal we would love to hear it you know <laughs> let's yeah. go ahead. oh for sure
1: <laughs> Cover to Cover is back and the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. We guarantee internet fame and fortune for anyone who participates unfortunately not guaranteed. Remember to keep it to two minutes or less and share the air, nerds. We like to get as many of you in there as possible.
0: If you are new to the show and you would rather cram yourself into a COVID super spreader event for your favorite willfully ignorant politician than listen to any more, I assure you, you should still be wearing a goddamn face mask and only because you haven't heard enough of this show. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but posting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank patrons like Steppin Dowell, not Steven. Ste- he don't S- need Steven, no I'm H. He's Steppen Dowell, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here. S-T-E-P-E-N.
1: Steppin. <laughs> Typo. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to legendary and reclusive far side cartoonist Gary Larson, who suddenly came out of retirement with a handful of new strips after discovering the joy of digital inking. It's like somebody the like story. Dad,
0: it's an iPad. Just check it out, okay? Just yeah. try it. And he was like, What, what is that?
1: Oh my. The, the story <laughs> was, the story was like my favorite drawing pin got clogged. And so I had this Wacom tablet laying around and I fiddled with it. And next thing I knew, I did a whole week's worth of Farsight strips. What the hell is a Wacom
0: tablet? Is that like some
1: weird Chinese thing they used to spy on us? Or what is that? No, it's the brand name. It's like the black square that sits on your desk that you draw on with a stick. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway, no promise of a full-time return, but it looks like Larson's caught the drawing bug again. Word to you, Gary. Welcome to the 21st century. God, I thought he was dead. Honestly. <laughs> like, and
0: I love the far side so much. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics or your retailer might just start spying on you through your Wacom tablet. This is a two headed
1: nerd signing off. He can see you naked. That I'm just saying. Think about Just that. put a little piece of electrical tape over the anything that looks like a light. <laughs> the camera part, yeah. Yeah, like a webcam. Yeah.